Hi, and welcome to Think of Interest. I'm Sophia Franks. And I'm Serena Chen. Today, we're talking about communities. We're all part of a whole range of different communities these days, from swap groups on Facebook, to your church or mosque or other religious organisation, to Neopets. How are your Neopets, by the way? Have you fed them recently? Or did you just let them starve as you left childish things behind? They're still there. I've spent my fair share of time also when I'm not allowing my Neopets to starve running students groups, some of those with Serena, and on a personal level I'm absolutely fascinated by the artificial development of communities and how that intersects with technology. The internet has allowed us to hone in on our niche interests and those intersections. I'm most active in a Facebook group chat for queer fans of a podcast that are interested in fitness. But that means we can find ourselves in echo chambers, feeding ourselves only what we already know we like. And so I guess a good place to ask is, Serena, have you made friends off Twitter? I have. I've also had the surreal experience of meeting someone like on DeviantArt and on LiveJournal before I've met them in real life. What? Uh, tell the story. I'll tell you the DeviantArt one. Um, I met an, another artist on DeviantArt back in the day. And we got talking and eventually we asked, you know, oh, like, whereabouts are you? Oh, I'm in New Zealand. Whereabouts are you? I'm in New Zealand too. Oh, cool. We're in New Zealand. Oh, I'm in New Plymouth. Wait, I'm in New Plymouth too. And we eventually find out that we're in the same calculus class at high school. It was absolutely surreal. Um, and in fact, um, she lived in the apartment that I'm living in now. <laughs> so That's so weird. It's really quite fascinating because when you meet someone online, you don't, you know, you don't see their face, you don't um, get a lot of context, you just meet them in the context of the very specific niche that you both enjoy. And in some ways, like, you get to connect with someone on a deeper level than you would have if you just like met them walking down the street or at a bar or at school. So yeah, that was, that was really cool. How about you? Yeah, I have. I have. I have so many friends from Twitter. Um, I'm actually quite good friends with um, Katie Mack, who is yes. a moderately famous astrophysicist. She's um, so cool. She is so cool. Uh, she regularly tells me that I should take more breaks and also sleep more. Um, so she is, she's probably my mum friend, let's be real. Um, mm -hmm. But like, we didn't know each other before I reached out to her on Twitter. I was like, we should get brunch. We should be friends. I've decided yeah. this. <laughs> Um, so in that instance, I was the weirdo making the initial connection. Um, <laughs> I've also had people do it to me a few times where uh, my friend uh, Kate in Dunedin um, followed me on Twitter and then was like, we should get Maccas. And so we did. Yes. The North Dunedin Maccas, of course, where friendships and relationships are forged and ended. I was also uh, at my friend's wedding quite recently and some of the people who came from like all around New Zealand and some from Australia, I think, uh, were part of their WOW Guild. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well being for those of our listeners who are blessed and haven't engaged with it yet, um, World of Warcraft. And a lot of it means a lot to a lot of people and I fully respect that. It's just MMORPGs are not my jam. And I found that really interesting, the fact that like essentially because you have this hobby that's often seen as being very mm. antisocial, like, you know, video games, you also genuinely forge real friendships over it because you are like you're playing with people, they're just not people in the same room as you. And yeah. the land parties are like the inverse of that, where you're playing with a lot of people <laughs> in the same room, which means you can smell all of their sweat. Now that I think about it, I, I still have a few Facebook friends 
like actual Facebook friends that I first met on RuneScape. Oh, RuneScape was so bad. <laughs> it's so trash. I'm slowly revealing on this podcast what a trash human I am. <laughs> yeah, look, I've also played RuneScape, and to be honest, I regret everything. Yeah. I normally try yeah. not to regret things <laughs> in my life. I feel it's a very, like, positive way to live your life is to be like, I learned something from that experience. I learned nothing from RuneScape. <laughs> RuneScape was terrible. I guess I learned about, like, the economy and stuff. Yeah, I, I learned about that, that by reading books, Serena. <laughs> like a normal human. I think like the true, the sort of more true internet communities, like I think Tumblr is where a lot of that lives right now, where people belong to different fandoms and really engage in that way. But like Facebook groups have really altered how they interact, at least from like my perspective. And it may be different if you're cooler or younger than me, but they've really changed how like they interact with that. Like there's a lot more you'll add each other if you're in the same Facebook group. You'll become friends. Like, it's kind of adorable. Do you do much Facebook group stuff? It's a very directed question, so I expect a very clear answer. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as much as I used to. Um, the most involved I got in like a Facebook group that's centered around a certain topic was probably Hungary, and that was really good. I mean, you have a Tumblr account, though. Do you do you have, like, Tumblr friends that aren't IRL friends? I have mutuals. And Tumblr friends is kind of different from, like, other internet friends in that you never, ever engage with each other. Instead, you just reblog from each other and like each other's posts. And there's a mutual understanding that there's, like, love and respect, but you never actually talk to each other. <laughs> and that, like, crippling horror whenever a mutual unfollows you and you're like, what did I do? <laughs> we've never spoken but i love you yeah i think um tumblr in particular is very like self-aware of this like the way that internet communities and internet and interactions are actually really really good for people with social anxiety or various other reasons to not want to go outside and meet actual real humans mm -hmm. um, which i find like i think it's really cool um mm. essentially like the fact that like because you get time when you're typing the message like you can spend longer figuring out what you want to say and how to say it correctly. Um, that way of allowing people who might otherwise have been locked out of social interactions can now engage in them and like have a good time. So I think the other thing that is really interesting when it comes to talking about like internet communities and how like those interactors, like obviously some of them are really shitty. I have been on Reddit. Oh my God. I've, I've read YouTube comments. Like I know that the bad parts of the internet exist. And like, certainly I don't mean to say like, while I'm talking about how this is really good for people with social anxiety, that, like, the internet is a nice place, it's really not. The internet's, like, not cool. <laughs> um, but something that happened, uh, I think, maybe three or four years ago now, um, there was a computer game called Journey, a well, computer and, I think, PS4 and stuff as well. Um, and the whole point of Journey was, like, you were this wisp of, like, fabric that was travelling um. from one point to another point, and it was an online game. And so sometimes you made other wisps of fabric, but you couldn't talk to them. All you could do was jump up and down and bing at them. And it meant that, like, you just had a really nice time whenever you saw someone else. Like, if you saw another person in Journey, you got excited mm. because you're like, hey, I have a friend. And things were easier if you had someone traveling with you a lot of the time. Mm. So, like, you'd be like, this is going to be easier. And also, they're not going to, like, yell slurs at me, Yay. which they would do if I were playing Call of Duty. Um, yeah. Or now uh, play our Unknown's Battlegrounds. Cool. Looks like a really fun game. Terrible community surrounding it. Um, and so, like, Journey very much, like, turned 
online interaction, like, essentially, like, massively multiplayer online games, although I wouldn't be sure that Journey at any point was massively multiplayer. It was very chance whether you interacted with someone. Like, completely on its head, because prior to that, like, you have voice chat, you have um, text chat, like, you're regularly engaging with people, and also if you see them, they'll probably shoot you. <laughs> like, even on WoW, like, a lot of the um, servers are PvP, so, like, the players can fight each other. And then on Journey, you just kind of banged at each other and jumped. And that was it. Mm. That's all you could do. Um, and the fact that there was, like, it limited the ability to interact meant, like, the interactions were, like, really nice. Or, like, at least perceived to be really nice a lot of the time. Whereas with YouTube comments, just whatever. Oh, we could probably talk about this um, a bit later on, but it is really fascinating to me. Um, I don't know if this is, like, a subject, just the topic of designing communities, community design, and how the different ways you allow communication will design the interactions that that community has with each other and thus basically you can design a vibe of a community by limiting or even making some interactions easier than others so like your um, your example of journey like just by limiting interactions to booping beeping and jumping at each other suddenly you've got this like really beautiful small limited but nice interactions whereas I don't know maybe a place like YouTube um, maybe the easier interactions in that community are not always so nice so yeah that that topic fascinates me endlessly but we could probably talk about that more later on we could probably talk about that in a couple of minutes yeah. um, because I'm gonna introduce our guest now um, this episode's this episode is pretty special. Uh, we have a guest here, um, Lisa Charlotte from Beers, Beats, and Battlestar Galactica, where they go through Battlestar Galactica episode by episode. Yes. I want to listen, but I have to listen to BSG first. Watch BSG first, oh, which mate. I'm sure you'll appreciate, Serena. <laughs> yes, you have to see BSG. Um, she's here because she's got an incredible background in community development and management, and also because we like her. Um, she's a pretty cool gal. Among other things, Lisa's really nerdy about extremism and identity studies, the future of work, and pop culture, especially Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, Lisa, I would like to invite you to press that mute button on your Skype and get your microphone on. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I'm already there. <laughs> Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, no worries. We're really pleased that you're here with us. Um, so, do you want to speak to what Serena just talked about, the design of how we interact in communities and how that affects how that community develops? Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, just off of context, my experience with online communities is pretty much limited to my many, many nerdy groups on Facebook, <laughs> um, <laughs> which there are a lot. Um, and so in terms of designing online communities, I don't really have much experience. But um, in terms of face-to-face -face interactions, um, find that like the questions um, or like the way that you encourage people to interact, um, it really does influence how they interact with each other. Um, but basically, <laughs> uh, I've always been a big fan of um, of cutting out small talk in groups of people or, like, encouraging um, no small talk between people. And I think that that just really often changes the mood of the conversation, if you will. So that's always been one of my favourite, like, little hacks is um, 
asking really deep questions from the get-go. Some people don't like that. I think introverts really do, though, introverts who are kind of um, uh, really, really uh, hate small talk and, and sort of all of that, sort of thrive in those kind of communities. Um, so that's one of my favourite hacks, I guess. One of the uh, big questions I tend to ask people is what their biggest fear is. Yeah, that's a good one. And that's partly because, like, it's like every question you ask someone they tell you two different things by it. They tell you what their answer is and they tell you something by how they answer it. And I think your biggest fear is often like, it's very obvious if people aren't answering truthfully. Yeah, absolutely. I um, actually applied for a job the other day and um, one of the, what they asked you to do in the cover letter is recommend three books. And I was like, that's genius. You can tell so much about people from the books that they, they recommend you. That is great. Can, can you recommend three books? <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorites, which is really relevant to this conversation, is The Village Effect by Susan Pinker, which is um, a book all about the importance of face-to-face -face interaction. And it's been one of my favorite, um, like... I'm going to recommend this book to you because like for business, you know, you get everybody's recommending kind of like lean startup and all of these business books. And I think that at the end of the day, like this is one of the kind of best books that you can read if you have a business or work with people. Um, so you guys should both go mm -hmm. and read it. I should have said it as homework before this <laughs> podcast. Awesome. Um, but it's really great. It talks about the um, impact of face-to-face uh, -face interaction on your health and kind of goes into a few communities where they have a lot of centennials and mm. shows how their place in society and the way that they contribute in society and are valued actually um, keeps them living for longer and goes into stories of cancer patients and, and whatnot. So it's a really interesting story. I've recommended it to so many people. I think it's probably been loaned out right now. <laughs> That's fantastic. I am adding that really to my book. list. <laughs> what are the other two books? What are the ones that I recommend in the last time? Um, I think I recommended uh, ew, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, oh, uh, which again, yeah, talks about the kind of factors around um, people who are very successful and sort of brings a more social element to it about time and place and the community around them. And I think my other one was Wanted Women, which is really out there. So uh, I think it's by Deborah Scroggins, and it follows the lives of Yanhe Siali and Aifa Siddiqui, who is one of the top, I think she was the first woman to be on the top 10 wanted terrorist lists. And it follows their lives in parallel and just sort of shows how their journeys got to where they are. Um, I would consider Yanhe Siali to be quite an extreme person. And... Um, and she certainly, there was a turning point in her life where she could have ended up as a Muslim extremist. Um, but I think there were just a few things that happened. I can't remember. It's been so long since I read it now, but um, I recommended that heaps as well. So that was kind of left field. <laughs> so go, by the way, also terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really interesting. Just to sort of like very briefly go back to um, <clears throat> the village effect and sort of what you were discussing there. I have been on my soapbox a little bit the past few days for a change for what I normally am. Um, <laughs> sorry, for any listeners that don't know me, that's a joke. I am always on my soapbox. Um, <laughs> just sort of thinking about how if you're the leader of a smaller community, so I was thinking about it in the context of like um, the Students Association that I was president of for a year, you essentially like have a duty to form an emotional core for that community. And just thinking that I, I feel very, very strongly that in order to essentially like develop an artificial community. So arguably with a student association, like it's less artificial than it could have been otherwise, but like 
for that community to develop healthily, they need something to assort themselves around, whether that's like a common need or desire. And often you see that in businesses, like everyone in the business wants the business to do well. They assort themselves around that common desire. Or for like a community that's more focused around like facilitating well-being, like an emotional core is a really, really important thing for the leader to have. And like for them to sort of supply that like outgoing, like I don't want to say like loving, but that is essentially what I mean. Like to provide that kind of sense of belonging to the members of that community. Um, and to hear that there is a book out there that might say exactly what I think is right, that is really nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really tough thing as well. And um, something that I really struggle with is uh, it's such an undervalued, like a lot of emotional labor that our jobs that are usually occupied by women, it's a very undervalued position. And certainly it does take its uh, toll I obviously like I ran a 200 person community for two years and by the end of that I was exhausted and people just don't have boundaries anymore either like I remember growing up I used to be told you know you wouldn't call people after nine o'clock or um, you know on you'd be careful about like I guess business connections on the weekend but people would sort of be contacting me all the time by the end of it I got like honestly pretty rude <laughs> it was the only thing that worked I would just be like please send me an email to my work email address I had to change my uh, cell phone number um, to oh, just because I was getting text messages at all hours I just sort of had to be really careful who I gave my number to so I think that that's the kind of part that's not spoken about and um and often as well people who run communities um do it by themselves so there are some like online um communities that have sort of evolved um I know there's one called CMX Hub which is for community managers which are really are really useful but like I've I definitely um when I was a community manager I I found a couple of other people in similar roles and we would call each other up and be like oh my god this is just you know this particular things you have to deal with that people don't really understand. With the advent of technology as well and the internet, I feel like there's um, a higher expectation of free labour, just absolutely in general. And I mean, I see this a lot with like, I've been watching a bit of YouTube, just like mindless YouTube to unwind lately. And just the amount of entitlement from random people out there on the internet to these creators of these channels is I, I don't know it baffles the mind because you wouldn't do this in any other context you wouldn't say hey I need you to do this this and this for me for free because <laughs> I want that and yeah I, I do think that's a more common with the advent of technology and the internet just free labor it's just like as well like mm. forgetting that there's an actual person at the other end of it and like yeah i think that's probably what happened a lot with you lisa like that would have been a lot of why people are contacting you at all hours they see you as a job not as like an actual human who wants to go to bed at some point please yeah i'm sure they probably um saw me as a human and, and I can't stress how um, much I love that community of people. I just think that um, when people have a very small question, and I was probably guilty of this in the past, I think it took having this job for me to realise because it was a social club, I think that people saw it as something that they did for fun mm. and that for that reason they forgot that it was my job. And so it would be like a small suggestion or a quick question, but like what they didn't realise is that there were 200 other people who thought that they could do that as well. And so when it it's on mass like that, it just like builds up and builds up and builds up. And it is, as I said, like it is a very, um, it's a very emotional, laborious role. And I think that this is often the case. 
uh, a lot of women take on these emotional um, emotional roles, and I I think that um, unfortunately that warmth is really necessary for people um, and that sense of community, but it's a very undervalued thing in a, in a person, and um, yeah. Definitely, like, the last set of job interviews I went through, uh, I remember at one point, like, sort of saying, like, yeah, I think I'd make a really good leader. And one of the first things I said about that was, like, I, like, am very emotionally intelligent. Like, I know how to manage people. Like, I'm very warm. People want to do what I say, like, <laughs> when I'm in a leadership role because I'm nice to them. Yeah. And I think, like, that's one of the most important things to be a labor, uh, to labor, to be a leader is to, like, have that – have people like you to be warm, to be, like... Kind. I don't want to say, like, a good person, but, like, to be, like, kind of empathetic, to understand what people are coming from. And, like, not only does that, like, make you a good leader in the sense that people actually like you, it makes you a good leader in the sense that you can quite easily emotionally manipulate people into thinking they want to do what you want them to do. Like, <laughs> it's also it very like the important. most terrifying emotional intelligence ever. <laughs> it's just like, I'm emotionally manipulative. Hire me. Um, we've, uh, we've definitely discussed this a lot on... Um, <laughs> A lot. I mean, we're four episodes in, but on Beard Sweets and Battlestar Galactica, um, and I guess, Serena, if you've watched, um, I'm only four episodes in, so, like, no spoilers. Oh, but, my God. Um, I know, I know. <laughs> oh it's, it's horrible. I can't binge watch it, and I can't deal. Um, but the difference between <laughs> President Rosalind's leadership style and um, Captain Adama, and there is this real, like, um, I mean, there's a lot of international relations and political themes that are explored in the show, and there is this real oh. idea of, like, what a leader is, and he's very military and authoritarian and she's very warm and she's she's she reads people and she uh goes out of her way to try to understand the situation and um she's quite mm. happy to say that she doesn't know something and just like I think that that kind of leadership style is becoming more and more valued it's just very very slowly <laughs> yeah Rosalind is a a fascinating character as well um not giving any mm. spoilers but please don't <laughs> Oh, I am so excited for you. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> Battlestar is like my favorite show. Anyway, no, Rosalind is great because because she is a more empathetic leader. She's kind. She feels the struggles that her people are going through. Um, she gives people the benefit of the doubt, mm. right? But because like that's her way of leadership, when when it comes down to it and when she does have to make a tough decision, when she does have to make a call that is rather militant, for lack of any other word, you know, a call that shocks people, that makes that call, it gives it more weight, mm. you know, to have that contrast. Um, because everyone knows that, you know, she is an empathetic leader. She understands the people that she's leading she feels for them and for her to make tough calls then it comes with more respect and it comes with a grave air of understanding mm. while we're sort of talking about like emotional like intelligence and like um empathy is like good leadership traits like it's really important to remember like the reason that we predominantly see women with those traits is because we are like very much sidelined into that and like if a woman tried to be a more militant leader, she would get very heavily criticised. As like, certainly we mm. saw it to an extent with Helen Clark, like, <laughs> or even Hillary Clinton. Yeah, oh, definitely. And like, so while I, like, genuinely think like everyone, like people of all genders, should have like incredible emotional intelligence if they want to be a leader. I'm also very aware that like, to an extent, women have to have that. 
in order to be like actually respected at all and like that's not great mm. yeah I mean I don't know it's a double-edged sword I think that women both are expected to have that and are seen as weak for it I think women tend to have these skills yeah. more just because they are we have to like we're we conditioned to, to um, think about others before ourselves um, which obviously makes us great community kind of um, builders and managers but um, it's often at a personal cost unless you're like I don't know sociopath or like a really big I don't know extrovert or something it's uh tough definitely I um I had the experience while I was uh, leading a students group where one of the people sort of above me who was like I didn't exactly have to do what they said, but it was a very bad idea for me to not do what they said. Um, they asked me to like go in and check on one of their students and just take them out for coffee and make sure they were okay. And I was like, yep, I think that's really important. I think that fully is part of my role. I think maybe we should discuss whether you would have mm. said this to a boy, but mm. I'm still going to do it because like, I think this is, you know, key to it. And certainly like the person who took over from me was male and they never had to do any of that and it's just like oh really are we Mm. doing this (laughs) i don't want to have to explain how humans interact to you you're a 23 year old man (laughs) you should have worked it out i asked serena earlier lisa uh whether she made any friends out of twitter have you made like many friends online before you've met them in meet space or yeah, I have actually. Uh, I have, um, I've made a few friends from Twitter. Um, it's always super fun when we meet and we're like, yay, not a bot, like good people. <laughs> um, so I've actually probably made, oh, I'm going to say, I've got a mix of like people who I met on Twitter with like similar interests who I knew were in Melbourne and we'd just like end up at the same conference or speaking engagement and then we'd like, let's meet up or wanted to go to something and just organize to go together. Again, like a speaking engagement, which is pretty safe. So, like, just varying, like, interests that though a lot of them are from, like, international relations. And then I've got some people who uh, we just, like, retweet each other and, and probably, like, you know, interact online. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm part of, as I said, like, a lot of Facebook groups. There's crazy groups on the internet. Like, um, there's, like, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer group I'm part of, which has over 65,000 people, which is crazy. But talking about online communities and Facebook groups, one um, uh, podcast that's done it really well is My Favourite Murder, which I've only just started listening to. And they have a 136,000-plus person Facebook group that they kind of use as a platform to talk about um, mental health issues and also, like, obviously the topic of the podcast. But it's become this really amazing support network. Um, I was put onto it by a, a friend of mine, and that's really fascinating. Like, this group has come out of this you know, one podcast, it's like 136 plus thousand people talking about, you know, mental health and stuff. So I haven't actually joined the group yet, but I'm looking forward to going through and seeing what people say. But I'm always really um, uh, interested. So in the Buffy, the Vampire Slayer group, like people really, um, I don't know if it's maybe like the type of fans or, or what it is, but like people really post like a lot of personal stuff about themselves and how Buffy the Vampire Slayer has helped them in different parts of their lives. You know, you get people from hospital being like, you know, help me get through this and this and that. And this community has been amazing. And I'm just like, wow, I would never have thought to come to this group for this. But it's really interesting how that kind of develops. And like certainly um, the sort of sharing of really personal stories is often like really cathartic for people. So like I'm um, mm. My sort of podcasts that I'm in Facebook groups for uh, are the, a lot of McElroy shows, um, starting with my brother, my brother and me, and ending up at the Bachelor fan cast, Rose Buddies, which, yep, <laughs> anyway. Um, and one of the groups that sort of came out of that is like a mental health support group 
So if mm. you're having a bad day, you can go there. And like once I was having an insanely like, actually that's the correct word for that, um, an insanely stressful week, <laughs> and I just went there and I like was just like there is so much going on and I'm so overwhelmed right now. And I listed out everything that was happening. And then a bunch of people commented and they're like, the fact that you've recognized you're overwhelmed is a good starting point. You're doing amazingly. Like, just sent me all these really nice messages. Um, if someone's, like, having a crisis, like, they'll often be like, hey, like, there'll be someone awake who people can talk to. And it's also, like, a very responsible community And that when someone is, like, genuinely talking about, like, hurting themselves, like, we'll just be like, all right, like, I checked your Facebook. This is the country or the state you're in. This is your local suicide hotline. Like, call it. Just... Call them and mm. talk to them because they're free. Um, and often, like, it'll be people in the US who are like this. You can't afford to go to the emergency department or a psych or anything like mm. that. Um, and I think, like, that's really a beautiful thing to sort of come out of, like, My Brother, My Brother and Me is a comedy advice show. Like, so mm. for that to grow <laughs> into, like, this really big community where there are people that make art, like, I'm in um, a cooking group for that which is just such a strange thing to be part of. Like there's a sewing and knitting group, like, and people have just kind of found each other. And I think that's been particularly good. Um, so I really notice it in the queer groups, but like it's been particularly good for people who might not be out to their families, who might not be out to their friends, who it might not be safe being out. They have the space. It's mm. a secret group on Facebook where they can like express themselves the way they want to in the same way. Like I, I can be like, kind of like uptight when I go out to social events or they can make me really exhausted and like that just kind of bums me out so often when I go to a social event there'll be kind of like this underlying like ugh, this is gonna suck in like three hours for me but like it's <laughs> important for whatever reason so I'm gonna go and I went to an out for Australia event and it was just the most beautiful experience of my life <laughs> because like it's a breath of fresh air when you can be around people who are essentially like you when you don't have to be like well is this misogyny bingo or what how is this gonna happen <laughs> yeah. are you gonna explain my phd to me maybe like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the great thing about those um those emergent online groups is that it's not like a group that's titled oh uh, mental health support group you know it's a group of people who have similar interests to you and it's like, oh, fans of My Brother, My Brother and Me, chat group or whatever it's called. And I feel like that kind of takes the pressure off. It, that kind of gives you mm. room to be more open and more vulnerable because it's like you're talking to friends. You're not going into a group that's specifically for mental health support. You're amongst friends and that's fantastic. Yeah, I think the anonymity, oh, words... <laughs> can be helpful to some people as well just kind of putting it out there into the ether but I mean I, these things are really hard I find with Facebook because obviously social media has such an impact on mental health for a lot of people mm. uh, in a very negative way uh, and I find it really difficult to try to be honest on Facebook about what I'm going through without being someone who seems like they're complaining yeah. if that makes any sense like I'm always really mindful I don't want to be like I don't know, overly negative, but at the same time, I also, like, I think that sometimes from a distance, my life can look pretty, like, fabulous, and it's not often, and so I'm really mindful of, like, what I post and trying to be, like, honest with what I'm going through, but at the same time, I don't know, not being 
I, people, there's a certain connotation that comes with, you know, really overtly negative posts all the time of attention seeking mm. and, and all of that. So maybe these groups are a sort of uh, an escape from that. I mean, there's so many people, I have so many people on Facebook, it's ridiculous. Also just like a lot of my friends will probably kind of freak out if I posted like when I'm in a bad brain space and I just want to talk about it, if I put up like a long Facebook mm. post being like everything is garbage, burn it all down. Like a lot of my friends would probably freak out. But if you do it in a space that's put aside for that, people kind of get where you're coming from rather than being like, are you okay? What's going on? Do you need me? It's like, I don't need you. I'm just like sad. Yeah. 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 There's a really like fine line. Um, I guess we're going kind of off topic of communities, but um, every episode. Really every episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a really fine line between. I had a really interesting conversation about this yesterday. Actually, um, something that I've always tried to do. Um, I mean, whenever I'm able, is to be really honest about my life um, with people because for a really long time, you know, stuff that people don't talk about, like money or sex or sexuality or whatever things that like I was raised to think are taboo and so for that reason I never talked to anybody about them so really ridiculous expectations of what things are and I think it's a really hard line to balance making people really uncomfortable and um and sort of being honest and giving people kind of uh the feeling of not being alone yeah so I do a thing where I would make like a super honest tweet or like a usually like a string of them and then I'd read them and then I'd freak out and delete them immediately. Oh, I've definitely done that before. <laughs> like all the time. If you see my Twitter feed recently, you'll know I do not delete them and I just tweet them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it is that, is this that like weird tug of war in your brain about mm. like, I'm feeling these things, I'm going through this thing, uh, I want to express myself so you know and be honest this is my experience my life is not always rosy and fantastic but then you're like oh but I there's enough negativity out there in social media already I don't want to be like that one more person who complains about their life everyone's going through shit you know there's people out there who are starving who are going through way shittier days than I am so I like delete everything <laughs> and the <laughs> process repeats over and over I again. I actually got a message on Twitter really recently from a young woman I know who said like I really appreciate the fact that you talk about like how weirdly anxious for no reason that you get like I wrote a tweet like a couple of weeks ago that was like how does everyone feel about it? Oh, no, it's like anxiety brought to you by an impending sense of doom. Um, <laughs> and she missed me. She's like, thank you so much for tweeting like that. Like, I feel like that pretty often. And it's really nice to know I'm not alone. And it's just like, oh, okay, oh, good. That's good. I thought I was just being a bit humorous about my ongoing mental health issues, but okay. <laughs> Great, it had a side effect. And so, like, there is, there is definitely value in that. But equally, like, I think I'm very much in a similar boat to you, Lisa, in that, like, you look at me like I've got my life fucking sorted. Like I'm 24. I've nearly finished my PhD. I have a really good podcast. Like <laughs> I, you know, um, like I have a job next year. I have like a lot of really good things going on in my life, but like I still get sad. I still get anxious. PhDs are really hard. I had a panic attack the other night. Like, and I'm still going to do my best to talk about that because on the one hand like I think I would feel better if I saw more of that chat happening like I'd obviously worry a bit if it was really serious for my friends but like if I saw people just being like um like me and Lisa have a mutual friend Jacob and they posted something recently about 
an event they pulled out of because they had really bad anxiety. And I saw that and I'm like, man, that's really good. I should pull out of events if I have really bad anxiety. <laughs> and then suddenly no one ever showed up for speaking engagements in Melbourne ever again. <laughs> and it all began there. It's a ripple effect. But, like, it helps, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's been a really interesting experience for me lately. And, um, Sophia, you probably know more about this than Serena would. But um, I actually kind of just quit everything, which has been interesting. So uh, I've I've had some kind of family stuff to deal with and I wasn't really dealing with it. And I sort of have this busy, busy, I'm so busy way of coping. So I quit my job and I've deferred my studies and I sort of threw like one quick like online post. And it wasn't overly negative. I sort of just said like, um, hey, I'm going through transitions. Can people recommend stuff? And it's interesting that like about I'm, I'm making an estimate, but I don't think I'm far off. I think about 100 people contacted me in a week oh, wow. um, just being like, hey, are you OK? Um, I went through a similar thing to this. Like, can I help you? Why don't you read this book? Like just ridiculously overwhelming um, support. And um, it's interesting how many other people have had these sort of phases and I wasn't really super aware of it. But uh, yeah, just that feeling again of this like. I guess it validated my life choices of always trying to um, prioritize people, but just like showing, I guess, an example of like how putting yourself out there can be really positive as well. I, I've had a similar experience. This whole moving like debacle has been weirdly tough, but just reaching out to friends and having them be like, you know, I'm here to listen. You can rant at me if you want. That, <laughs> that was, that was incredible. And, um, and throughout this whole thing, I was thinking about this last night, um, as you do, just how grateful I am for the friends around me and the kindness that they give and how I would have, <laughs> yeah, like I would have never, never really like thought about it, never really realized how, how lucky I am until like, if it weren't for me just being like, oh my God, you guys, I think I'm spiraling. This is, I'm not having a good time. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was definitely something incredibly positive that came out of that. Just just the support. I'm so glad that you know that, Serena. Uh, <laughs> just I'm having a lot of feelings now. Aww. Oh, love hearts. I don't know. I guess I like never have any doubt that people love me. I mean, sorry. <laughs> 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 oh, that is amazing. Like, I do all the time. <laughs> I definitely do. I've just been getting very into aggressive self-love lately. Yeah, so that's, that was aggressive. that's really yeah. good. Of course people love me. I'm amazing. <laughs> um, I was going to talk about um, communities and um, and kind of their usefulness in, I guess, uh, I want to say business, but I don't want to use that word because it sounds really cold. But, like, I don't know, are you guys part of any business communities or kind of professional communities, uh, young leadership things maybe? Lisa, you know how like much of a broke student I am. Well, I sort of am. So um, I'm part of the Royal Society of Victoria. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually a councillor there, which means I, again, get to help run the community and get to form the uh, point of contact for young people a lot of the time. Because I, I did bring the average age of the council down by about 20 years when I joined <laughs> it. But so like that's probably the closest I currently have to a professional community. And the Royal Society is very interesting, both in the sense that, like, it's a hangover from being owned by Britain. Like, it's this incredibly old society. Um, it was founded in 1854, I think. And 
it has a very strange demographic in that like a lot of its members are over 60 um but we're getting like increasingly younger and increasingly sort of like connected they are probably the healthiest royal society in australia the royal society of new zealand is incredibly healthy and does a very very good job and as a sort of professional community i find it interesting partly in the sense that like had i stayed in science it probably would be a very very valuable community for me because like i know that next year i won't be staying as directly in the sciences like i don't think it's a community i will leave it but it definitely is something that like when people ask me why they should join i'm like hey you get to hang out with like professors after these lectures and they treat you like an equal join and that's really uh interesting that the community that you're part of is older people i think that um something that we really lack is intergenerational communities um i think mm. that they've been i think we used to have kind of like the local community the church these kind of things but um as time goes on um we have more peer communities and less of that um intergenerational kind of conversation which is really important it would probably be nice for our politicians to talk to people our age sometimes <laughs> on an equal <laughs> level yeah. well um ro- the rotary club sort of has a similar demographic mm. to the various royal societies in that they're like they're predominantly older people and that essentially you can make it more intergenerational by joining your local one. But also you do have the advantage that you come in and everyone is like, you're the future of our <laughs> We will protect you. And I think definitely being young um, at the Royal Society did give me an edge because I was young and that made me different. I was also, you know, a woman. That helps. Has anybody ever asked you about kids? Because that's happened to me in those kind of groups before. Like, oh... You're in your late 20s. <laughs> why don't you have children yet? I'm like, well, why is that your business? I actually do some caregiving for my two-year-old cousin, and so sometimes I'll be talking about Felix and his uh, mischief. And people go like, oh, I didn't know you had children. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Wait, let me say no one more time. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Serena? Do you belong to many um, professional communities? Uh, not really. I belong loosely, very loosely, <laughs> to like the generic tech community in Wellington. And I say community very loosely because it's more like the same group of friends that we, <laughs> everyone in tech has. Um, I used to go to meetups quite a bit when I first moved here just because I didn't really know anyone. But eventually, like, you find, you know, your people, mm. you find the group of people that you get along really well with. And yeah, I, I guess like my only professional community is that community of friends, just real friends, even up, who I'd be friends with even if we didn't work in mm. tech. And that can be really good as well because then it's, I don't know, you're, you're open to being more vulnerable with them. You're open to sharing more with those who are friends as well as like in the same professional career as you kind of thing. And that can be good. And it has been quite enlightening. Like, we share a lot of horror stories of sexism in tech, which is, you know, all the time. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And, like, what places to avoid and who to avoid. <laughs> so, you know, that's... Yeah, I think those conversations are really important as um, women. Um, definitely, like, I think in all of the kind of business communities, there is a sort of knowledge of people who aren't necessarily always the best or who you need to be careful of. Um, I sort of love that camaraderie around women, even if sometimes they can be a bit competitive. I think that when it comes to like people who are, 
inappropriate, mm. put it nicely, um, women do tend to tell each other. Yeah. I love it, but it does worry me because essentially if anyone isn't plugged into the hive mind, yeah. they're like incredibly at risk and often that'll be younger people yeah. or people who've moved there recently or people like who don't speak English as well. Yeah. And it's just like, <sighs> which is why like, um, I do, I do, I spend a decent amount of my time talking about like sexual harassment and assault in academia, particularly the sciences and like, yeah, we have a hive mind. Like when you go to a conference, someone who's a bit older than you will probably be like, just don't get drunk near him yeah. or let him get drunk near you. <laughs> it's just stay away. And like, that's really good. Cause I have someone looking out for me, but I constantly worry about people who don't. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I didn't meet that group of people, then I wouldn't know anything. So it's it's all chance and luck. Um, so something I've thought about a decent amount is the fact that like the sort of communities and the, particularly the artificial communities we create, and I sort of I use that terminology to differentiate it from things that like friendship circles, because I think a lot of the time those spring up very naturally, mm. whereas artificial communities are like, here is a group, it is a community, it now exists. <laughs> but they essentially form like a similar role that like churches, mosques, synagogues, other sort of place of worship used to form mm. in the sense that like every so often when um, we were down with like my Nana would like go to, she'd meet up with like church friends. Like we wouldn't go to church. My family has a very like bizarre relationship with religion. We wouldn't go to church. We'd meet all the people who went to the same church that she would have gone to had she gone to church. <laughs> And it would be, like, that community where, like, if we went to church, you'd listen to a sermon about, like, envy or some shit, and then you'd go outside and you'd eat, like, slightly stale asparagus sandwiches mm -hmm. and you'd complain about people who weren't there. Yeah. And that would be, like, the center of your community. I have the same with my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, and I think, like, particularly at that time and, like, to an extent still now, like, one of the most important roles that those kind of religious organizations can form is that community center and they also like have that emotional core like those are particularly things that like pastors and ministers are often very good at is like having that emotional intelligence and the emotional strength to be available to their like the word that comes to mind is flock that's a weird <laughs> and overtly religious word to use but we'll go with it sure. and yeah i think they, like that's still one of the more important roles that those can form which is why whenever like some douchebag atheist like ats me I'm always like religion forms kind of the same role that your like weird ass meetup group about pizza forms. Like, <laughs> yeah, I really hate the atheists kind of who uh. just like slam on everything about religion. It's like, yep, okay, cool, it's bad, but like for these reasons, but like these communities are, you know, and there's huge data on like older people and divorce rates and sort of or who've been separated or widowed or. And being part of these communities is often the difference between, like, quite an early death and, you know, being part of a community and having people around you. And they really take care of each other super yeah. well, in my experience. Oh, mm. there's, there's nothing that annoys me more than atheist bros who are like, did you know I'm an atheist? Yeah, you, I'm an, I'm an yeah. atheist. I didn't even, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> we know, dude. We know. I'm an atheist because I don't believe in fairy tales. Oh my God, go home. The thing that I find so frustrating <laughs> about that movement is they sort of like talk about rationalism and whatever, and then they still seem to think that like, well, we won't even go into which one, but one religion is somehow inherently worse than the others. And I'm like, you guys are supposed to be looking at this yeah. from an objective perspective, but it's not really, is it? 
they're also often the same guys that think the gender pay gap's a lie. So, like, yeah. let's be real. They're not that good at <laughs> rationalism. Yep. Tip fedora. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, churches are, are nice. That's that intergenerational um, kind of thing as well. Typically, yeah. I get a bit weirded out the Anabaptists and born-again churches because they often tend to be a lot of young people. Oh my god, I can't even. <laughs> singing about, like, singing rock songs about Jesus. Um, I know. One of, a, a student asked me to her baptism and I went and it was like the most bizarre experience of my life. Oh my god, I know. a bunch of people talked about how much they loved Jesus and I was like, okay, cool, glad you found that. And then one of them was like, I'd like to invite all of my non-Christian friends who join me here today and my family to really interrogate their relationship with God. It's like, <laughs> mm, if they're not Christian, they don't have one. <laughs> Thanks, I guess. Yeah, oh. it was... I've like I've been to I've been to services at more old school churches and they're like they're quite lovely they're quite nice the pastor will give a speech about like a passage in the Bible and derive like some morality from it and it's like yeah that's nice and um I went to a friend's baptism at one of those like new age churches and it was the weirdest thing there was this one moment where someone standing uh on the stage asked if like anyone had pains in their right arm and someone put their hand up it was like yes i have a pain in my right arm and then uh the guy at the front was like i want everyone to like pray for this person and in unison every single person in the room turned towards that person and raised their hands towards oh them at the same time it was oh my goodness it was quite an experience i always find that chanting like i mean i guess like uh chanting together is like a pretty uh, i mean it's a thing we've been doing for a while i actually yeah. love people singing together i think that's a really great endorphin releasing thing and there should be just more groups of people mm. just singing together but the chanting i always find like really confronting i'm like oh this is this is creepy and weird i feel like I'm i don't know I, I i guess i was just not used to it i know i had the um the experience at my nana's funeral that like I was sitting right at the front because like there's only two grandkids it's me and my brother um and we got given the little booklet and it has the hymns that we're gonna sing in there and i don't i don't know mm -hmm. hymns <laughs> and it's like you need to sing loud because you're the grandkids and like the immediate family needs to sing really loud it's like but this this isn't yeah. sheep music <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> i don't know the tune of these hymns like mm, good a hymn they're usually pretty easy you can usually pick them up after a verse i find yeah, but you do have to sing I've badly for that bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but I think, like, yeah, the way we're sort of developing communities now, particularly with the um, aid of things like Meetup, allows us to essentially develop that which we used to only be able to develop around places of worship a lot of the time. Or um, the political party groups. Mm. But then again, it's a bit of groupthink, isn't it? I find this really interesting about the um, the startup community in Melbourne. Like, I think it was really exciting for about a month. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is the same people yep. talking to the same people about yep. the same yep. thing <laughs> all the time. And it's like, but it's the same speakers every time as well. And I'm like, you're literally just saying the same things over and over. Is this not madness? Like, am I? Just buzzwords. Like, no one actually knows what this is. It's just all buzzwords. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously there is a big, like, sense of community from this. But after a while, I was like, I can't go to another event that's, like, the same as, like, every other event I've just been to. Like, yeah. I'm very tired. <laughs> Substance, please. Lean, are you are you lean and agile? <laughs> are you innovative and disruptive? 
I'm so disruptive. <laughs> I mean, my teachers always said that in class anyway, so I assume so. It just meant you were entrepreneurial. Oh, of course. <laughs> That's the, oh, the, you're the an entrepreneur? Phrase. What's your latest preneur? Oh, what's my latest preneur? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's been so much good literature around this lately, though. I don't know if you've read anything um, but about the way that we talk about entrepreneurship, actually, and the buzzwords and mm. talking about raising capital, but not like – I mean, you get a lot of people who um, – very kind of like, I don't know, proud of the fact that they're a founder, but you're like, how many people do you employ and how much money does your business make? Yep. And what are you, what service are you providing? Okay, cool. So <laughs> tell me more about that. I hadn't really worked out how to put my issue with um, entrepreneurship and startup culture into words until my friend said to me, none of them have a startup. They just have a business. They don't raise capital. They just don't have like a good business. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. Cause he's, um, He's founded, like, I think three three businesses, and he refers to none of them as startups, and they're all profitable within, like, six months. And he's just like, it's because I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And then he's super critical of people that, like, need to raise seed funding. He's like, no, be better at your job. Yeah, exactly. like, just provide a service that people want to buy. Yeah. And, like, obviously there is an element there of um, not everybody has the sort of money to just go out and start a business. Like, there are some startup costs to say developing yeah, a product or something but yeah for the most part if you have to raise that much capital probably you don't have a very sustainable business model I think I'd be more sympathetic to the whole raising capital idea if the the companies that were actually getting capital were people who otherwise would not have the means to start their business like do you know what I mean because mm -hmm. the people who are yeah getting capital snapchat uber I mean mm -hmm. they're just tech dude bros uh who cool. yeah i love are. more white men Need yeah white who men have in my the life. time <laughs> they have the spare time to work on their thing you know they they can be unemployed for as long as they want and then that's how they get seed funding because they've got time and they're like oh i just flew over to san francisco yeah. again to like raise capital i'm how? like what <laughs> what is this how it's like three thousand dollars how do you have money to go oh, over God. there that's a lot of money it's really far away <laughs> it grinds my gears do you know what i mean when i first came to Wellington, I was very involved in peripherally, um, but definitely in amongst the startup communities here, just because for some reason, one of the local conferences here, like they were like, oh, you're come and pitch your startup business to our conference, to which we were like, awesome, I guess. <laughs> and that's how we met most of like my Wellington friends is just through startups and it, it is the kind of it's the same kind of experience you had Lisa where it's like you go to a few and it's like this is really exciting these are all young people doing new things creating new businesses this is awesome and then after a while you get a bit jaded you hear the same buzzwords over and over again you start questioning if people actually know what they're talking about and if they're actually creating value for people in the mm. world which at most of the time is no really it's no it's a lot of it is just like rubbing shoulders with people with some money and making them feel mm. important but yeah. yeah a lot of my um my interest is actually in the social good startup space which is where like mm. i think it's more legitimate to need to raise capital and things like that because like if Absolutely. you're producing something that you genuinely don't want to charge people for like totally fair enough yeah. that you need funding mm. and then i go back into the like normal startup space and it's like oh you guys all kind of suck and they are all guys let's be I real. mean what I find really hard about it um and this 
like actually coming down to communities, I think that this is something that is really integral to communities and really hard to get everybody on board for. So I think the problem with a lot of this space is people are very invested in what they need. Um, and even in the way they interact at events, it's really all about them and their business and what they're looking for. And um, it's funny because when I came into that sort of scene, um, I just like to help people. Mm-hmm. And and so I would just look at it and be like, oh, cool, like you're doing this thing. Why did not I introduce you to this person? And I never really thought it meant much. Mm-hmm. But actually what I came to realize is that's actually quite rare. Um, and so I'm really interested in like, communities of people and like we kind of have this a bit it's a mix of people so I'm part of this group with the World Economic Forum called Global Shapers Mm -hmm. and so there's about maybe 5,000 people around the world in different hubs in different cities and it's pretty good like we're pretty good at helping each other there's probably some people within the worldwide community who aren't great at helping others but sort of trying to create groups of people who are helping each other rather than getting Mm -hmm. help from like there seems to always take us, I think I was having this conversation again yesterday, mm-hmm. lots of interesting conversations yesterday about there being three kinds of people. There's like the t- people who will just take what they need. And then there's people who will do like very tit for tat. And then there's people who will just give a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, unfortunately in those kind of communities, there are a lot of people who take. Yeah. And I just, I can't understand that kind of behavior. Cause to me, it's like, well, if you give something to somebody when you need help, they want to help you. Exactly. Like, is that not just how it, <laughs> that makes sense? to me also like you can sleep at night but you can create mutually beneficial things as well it doesn't have to be about like you're just giving something it's like how can we help each other yeah no certainly um something i've noticed with you lisa is like you're very very good at connecting people who will have similar interests at the very least like um when you're organizing your party like everyone you connected me with like we had a lot in common or like we got along really well and that might just be because you have an amazing circle of friends i'm not sure but like I was sort of like incredibly appreciative of that because mm. it mm. felt like, and I genuinely don't know if you did this. Like it felt like you put some thought into who yeah, I get along with. Yeah, I mean with. that's uh, uh, that's what I do. Unfortunately, I'm still trying to work out how I can get people to pay me to do that. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it is it is a skill. No, I um, yeah, that would definitely be something that I'm really great at. It's actually to the point now where most people, I don't really have to give them an explanation. But I think the other thing is to keep in mind that you don't always have to like create something or go into business with someone. It can just be a good connection and you just never know where that will go. And I recently got out of a job where I was working a lot with lawyers and the way that they are taught to interact with people is really about getting clients. And one of the things that I was always trying to tell them, like they would want to look over, say the guest list before to see who was there, who they should be targeting. And I'm like, no, just don't target anybody. Just like treat everybody like a person and have a conversation because you never know like who might actually be, if you want to use that word, useful to you in the future, like trying to kind of convert into that language because you could have a conversation with someone who has a brother who has a business who really needs whatever and they could be like the nerdiest person in the corner, you know, in a battle saga like a t-shirt, which I would really like that person. But um, (laughs) they might not, they might not seem like someone to you who is that, I guess, important. I've put that in inverted commas, but I think that's a real issue of the way that we're kind of taught to professionally network. Mm -hmm. And I think if you just treat people like people and try and help when you can, it's the best way to sort of be a part of or run a community. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. That was what put me off a lot of like the startup meetups and that kind of circle was that the one piece of advice that really put me off was everyone would tell me, you know, figure out what you need, figure out who the important people are in the room and get what you need from those people. And it was like, 
actually, I just moved here and I'm having a really good time, like, meeting new people and making friends. I don't know, it's so off-putting to have, like, an agenda where you go into a social situation and it's like, I need to do this, this and this, I need to see this, this and this people, I need to shake hands with, like, these important people, and it's like, uh, or I could just have a good time, <laughs> you know? It just makes people feel really shit as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, like, to an extent, like, it doesn't have to be an incredibly mercenary idea of, like, what you need and what you want to get. It's like, before I go to events, I figure out what I want to get out of them. Like, and often that's like, I want to have a good time. And if I stop having a good time, then I leave. And I need to do that so that I have a metric for, like, not being really unhappy and, like, in a shitty mood on the train home. Mm. And I think, like, the way we sort of talk about it now is, like, very much, like, you have outcomes, you have KPIs, you have deliverables, (laughs) like... Well, it's like your happiness can be deliverable. Absolutely. Mm. And this is the thing that I find really interesting about the Global Shapers community. So when I was, um, I was recently in America and I traveled around to different um, hubs and kind of saw how they operated. And what I found is that the ones that I, the people that I liked the most and the ones that I enjoyed the most were the ones that were just really okay with focusing on being a community of people. Mm-hmm. And so like the overall objective of Global Shapers is, is about creating projects, but you've often put together a group of young like leaders if you will who are really really busy already and I sort of just wish that they would sort of I don't know just recognize how important community can be in itself like it doesn't have to have a goal or a project and I think that everybody's so obsessed with needing to have a project like they'll be like I have a half an hour coffee and in that time I've got to do this this and this and it's like no just meet with people and just talk to people like community for the sake of community is okay like having an interesting conversation is okay like this is where ideas come and I think that it's a lack of that sort of like just chill time just like being in a room with people and having a conversation about something that really dulls creativity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because when you always have to have a purpose and a goal to whatever you're doing, it's just not leaving your mind to be open and free. And this is coming from a person who's currently not working, so I have heaps of time <laughs> to just like <laughs> sit at home and think about life and what I'm doing. <laughs> there is a reason that um, this podcast is vaguely named Things of Interest. <laughs> <laughs> we're, just, we're just here to shoot the shit, really. <laughs> Like what you were saying, Lisa, brings to mind that, um, so I went to a youth leaders conference uh, a couple of years ago now called Junket, and like, I had a really good time, and I met a lot of people I would have never have met in any other circumstances, like, and it was really awesome, and I felt really good coming out of it, and something that a lot of people that I went to that conference with have asked me since is, what did you get out of it? And like, definitely like, it gave me a lot of confidence, it was really good for me to go, I had fun. But the way they sort of ask it and the convers- the way the conversation often goes after that is they're like, well, you know, like, I didn't get any new connections. I didn't develop any new projects from that. I don't know if that, like, was valuable to me at all. And it's like, well, it kind of was. Like, we had fun. We got to hang out and, like, talk about stuff with people who we might not have talked about it with it before. And, like, to an extent, like, if you go somewhere and you want to meet new people and there are new people there and you don't meet them, that's kind of on you. Like... But just existing is nice. And existing with people who, I don't want to say inspire. I like the word challenge. Yeah, people who challenge you. I think challenge is a good word. I think challenge is really nice. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's good to have your ideas challenged. And I think that's what I find really problematic about some of these things is a bit of um, groupthink that comes into it. People have really kind of forgotten how to have 
conversations that are genuinely challenging. Yeah. Um, not you though, Sophia. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I did debating for four years. I think I'm like pretty good at challenging conversations. Um, actually, no, that is something I want to ask you, Lisa. Do you find a lot of communities tend to be like quite politically narrow? Um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I really don't like the term like-minded, mm. um, which is often thrown about in these groups. And I think that what I find, and this is maybe a controversial thing to say, is that living in a city like um, Melbourne, and obviously Serena, you don't live here, but like we are very left, like mm. we have the Greens as our nominated representative. We're a really left-leaning city. And I think that um, there is a bit of intolerance in those groups of differing opinions or conservative views. I've certainly seen a lot of examples of them not being engaged with in a particularly productive way. Um, and so I think for that reason, sometimes those groups do end up being a bit of, you know, the same, same. So there are communities, varying communities I've been part of. I'd say the Global Shapers in Melbourne, for example, I would say everybody's left-leaning, yeah. um, which I don't like. I don't want everybody to have the same political persuasions. Yeah. I worry with the advent of like social media and the internet and how we're kind of teaching ourselves in a way we're becoming more exhibitionist as people we're thinking about like how i don't know instead of just having like a normal one-to-one -one or a small group conversation we're thinking about how our words and our actions look to a um to our community to our close communities and like how that might raise a lower social status and this is just a natural phenomenon of social media becoming highly integrated in our lives. And because of this, I worry that when it comes to reaching out to other communities, when it comes to reaching out to other people of different political affiliations, different backgrounds, instead of really holding ourselves back, listening and empathizing with their position, we might be tempted. And I know like many times I've been tempted to preach to the choir a little, to be a little flippant towards other ideas just so you can look better within your own community. Mm. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I see that. It makes perfect sense. I'm really mindful of trying to be as fair as I can on my mm. Facebook page. It sounds like such a silly thing, but like I try to share differing opinions, but there have been moments where I've been I've read an article which made me think. I haven't necessarily agreed with it, but I, I like to put up things that make me think if they're from different perspectives, particularly because it has become kind of a bit same-samey. And I really feel like a bit of fear posting the yeah. article. Like I actually write very big explanations saying, I don't agree with everything here, but I think it's a really interesting mm -hmm. point or this is an interesting point. But the amount of like care and, and fear that I have when I post something like that is a really worrying yeah. sign to me because I think that um, ideas should be able to be discussed even if they're not agreed with. Obviously, to a limit, I wouldn't want to post something that was, like, hugely overtly racist or, like, um, transphobic or, or like, on and on mm. and on. Like, um, it, but if it's an intelligent idea that's different from my own or that's different from kind of the general idea of other people, I think it's really healthy to share it. But I've seen people in Melbourne, in, in my sort of community, I guess, on Facebook, who have shared these kind of opinions. 
um, and then been jumped yeah. on and attacked because of them. And they've gone further and further and further towards things like men's rights activism, um, you know, all these ideas of um, they're not being white privilege and white people being like, uh, attacked somehow and I can see how that journey happens because there's no proper engagement online with this person it's just all like how yeah. dare you say this you're a privileged white man and it's like it's not it's more nuanced than that this was something um it was something that came up when we were talking about reddit and we were talking about like gross places on the internet because mm. the sad thing about like the red pill and men's rights activism and you know those kinds of groups the really sad thing about it is that when you look at these groups they're filled with white men young white men who are going through like a really hard time mm. a lot of them are going through a legitimately hard time just socially just going out and reaching out to people and they've been rejected and they they need even though the community that they've surrounded themselves with is gross they need that community and it's the same thing with terrorism. It's yeah, all like about yeah, community. Yeah, precisely. And it's, and I was, I was wondering when, when this came up, it's like, is there a way that we can provide these people with maybe like a less extremist, <laughs> uh, less gross, but supporting community? And when someone has been pushed to that extreme, when someone has dealt with the the blowback sometimes rightful blowback from what they've said but still mm. blowback when they've dealt with all that shit on the internet like is there a way we can bring them back from that extremism is there a way we can create a new community for them to surround them with actual support and not hate speech fingers crossed <laughs> This is what a lot of uh, counter countering violent extremism organisations try to do. Um, so mm. they try to work with different kinds of communities to create that kind of other space for them to kind of have these ideas. But, yeah, essentially all of this kind of extremism and, and whatnot comes back to it at the end of the day. And, like, I mean, it is – what I find that I find difficult is that often men's rights activists and – feminists are talking about the same problems yeah um, so actually when the taking the red pill thing came out the first time in melbourne when it was banned i wrote a quick little medium about it just because i had thoughts mm. which i'll send through to you guys but um it was basically saying i don't understand like i it, these, these issues are women are women's issues and men's issues they're feminist issues it's what we're discussing all the time i don't see how that can't be like to me it's all the same um mm. but actually i got retweeted by men's rights activists and feminists which was just crazy to yeah. me that the same article could be shared by both but yeah i think these these things are um really important to think about and so i'm constantly you know if i ever see that kind of behavior i'm just none of it on my wall i get very very frustrated when feminism is um treated as a non-partisan issue uh and there was a feminist yep. group who i'm not going to put on blast even though i could uh, that for their first event of the year invited a someone whose political affiliations are very clearly known and they were you know left wing and I sort of said like is this the best choice and they're like yeah we think it is it's like there are people who are not like absolute shills for political parties who also haven't said shitty things about intersexual feminism who you could have speaking today mm. and you don't like I think this is a really bad move. I think it alienates, like, everyone who's not on that part of the political spectrum. Because, like, I do think it's possible to vote liberal and be a feminist. Like, I think those are two ideas that it's pretty easy to hold in your head at the same time. It's easier than, like, voting Republican and seeing yourself as a feminist, right? Like, 
Mm. Well, especially at the moment with, um, you know, old mate. I think arguably <laughs> you can still do that. It's just like there's a lot more cognitive dissonance kind of going on or like a lot more things you've accepted that's happening if you're voting Republican and calling yourself like being a feminist. But like you can. And mm. as soon as we start treating anything like feminism, like marriage equality in Australia as a partisan issue, we are never going to see change under the government that isn't part of that party. Like if we like start saying, oh, you can't be right wing and feminist or you can't be right wing and support these rights. Or if you're right wing, then you hate this. Like, then we're not going to see change quickly. And we are going to see like this increase in people pushing back against it. Cause they're like, you know, I'm right wing. So yeah. I guess I hate that. I watched an argument between like someone from the left and right wing parties. or I mean, inverted commas in Australia, just before the election. And it was so hard to watch because neither of them were actually engaging with what the other person said. They were just talking along party lines. It was just mm-hmm. complete like partisan politics. And I was like, guys, like if, if you took politics out of it, your views are probably quite similar on most things. Like, why are you just spouting? Like, you're not, this is an exchange of ideas. This is just an exchange of like party politics. It's super frustrating. I don't know how to get past that because it seems just becoming more and more um, of an issue. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what I'll do next time. The problem is that they think it's a it's a zero sum game, right? Mm. They they think that being a good governing body, they think that being a good government for their people is for some reason a zero sum game. It's in so many countries, and I want I want to say maybe all of them. It feels like the role of government has moved from hey things are better for everyone if we like band some resources together and like centralize some stuff cool and it's moved from Mm. that to to a game to like there are x amount of parties and one wins and whoever Mm. wins gets the power and i don't know i don't know how to move that mindset back but we have to because it is like hair tearingly frustrating it really is (laughs) yeah i'm just I feel like a teal alliance would be so good. Like, I want to see National and the Greens work together. Like, it would just, it would be really nice. We'd finally get that, like, truly central, like, government that we really need. But, okay, whatever, I guess. Whatever. (laughs) So, this has been uh, Things of Interest. I'd like to say a special thank you to our guest, Lisa. And, Lisa, where can our listeners find you? Oh, yeah. So, um, first of all, thank you for having me. It's been a really great chat. I guess you can find me. So, my um, my personal Twitter is Lisa Charlotte, L-W-S-A, which is kind of a weird spelling. But Battlestar Galactica. Uh, so, our podcast is Beers Beats Battlestar Galactica. So, our Twitter handle and Instagram handle is just at Beers Beats BSG. So, we release every Monday, um, going episode by episode. So, if you've never seen it before, um, you can do what Sophie is going to do very soon and watch <laughs> each episode uh, along with it. And there's no spoilers, which is really great uh, for everybody else, but not for me because that means I can't watch ahead. Um, so, <laughs> I am following um, that. Yeah. I'm subscribing right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, we're on iTunes and Pocket Cast and SoundCloud. So, I think we've got most of the bases covered. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's super fun. We talk a lot about politics and, um, feminism and all the things. 
Um, and if anyone's listened to Lisa talk today and thinks that you'd like to hire her, uh, feel free to get in touch with her at her Twitter. Throw money at her. <laughs> Do it. I'm not desperate for a job. Mental health time. Mental health time. It's all good. <laughs> Thank you. You can, you can take a few months to hire her is what she's saying right now. Like, But just like get in yeah, touch. Give me yeah. time. <laughs> I've just never not worked before, so it's like a really new thing for me. Uh, it's kind of nice, actually. I've got a lot to read. Oh, <laughs> but other than that this has been things of interest yeah. um, we've talked about community we've talked about politics we've talked about emotional honesty on social media um, and I think it's been a really good episode I've been it's Sophia Franks I'm sorry Eugene uh, remember to follow us on Twitter at Casting Interest um, you can email us at castinginterest at gmail.com um, leave us a review on iTunes that really helps us we like to know what you think about us even if you don't think we're perfect, I mean, you're wrong, but that's okay. Everyone's allowed <laughs> to be wrong sometimes. Um, is there anything else, Serena? If, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please do tell a friend. We love sharing the love. And if you have any other requests for guests on an episode, this has been such a fun episode. Lisa, like, <laughs> it's been such a great conversation, and we'd love to have more guests on. So if you have any ideas for guests, Give us an email, drop us a line on Twitter, do whatever. We're reachable anywhere, really. Uh, yeah, let us know. And remember, stay interesting. Throw money at Lisa. <laughs> <laughs>